Welcome to In the Queue, a podcast presented by Messick, Lauer, and Smith. From CUSOs to regulatory concerns and everything in between, we'll talk about relevant topics, trends, and information in the credit union industry and how they can affect your credit union or CUSO. Today, we'll be talking to Mike Pryor, the CEO and president of Priority Financial Group, about the FTC's recent proposal to prohibit the use of non-compete clauses. Mike has an extensive background working with credit unions and CUSOs and has been following this rule proposal intently, giving its impact in the wealth management services industry. Uh, I'll talk to Mike uh, today about the rule's impact and what employers can do to address the proposed changes. Before we get to my interview with Mike, I did want to give some high-level background of the proposed rule changes. As with all legal rule changes, there is nuance to each individual situation, so please consult with counsel on how these changes might affect your particular situation. The FTC recently proposed a new rule on January 5th to prohibit the use of non-compete clauses in employment agreements. The proposal is in the commentary period, which ends on March 20th, 2023. If adopted, the proposed rule will require employers that use non-compete clauses to remove them from their agreements. In addition to removing the non-compete clauses, employers will be required to provide individualized communications to current and former employees that the clause has been removed. The proposed rule applies to employees, independent contractors, interns, volunteers. Certain employers are excluded from coverage under this proposed rule change, most notably federally chartered credit unions. The proposed changes do not extend to other restrictive covenants like non-solicitation or non-disclosure obligations, since these provisions do not necessarily prevent an employee from seeking or accepting employment with another business. However, the proposed rule is clear that if these types of covenants are so unusually broad to effectively function as non-compete clauses, they will, cons- they will be considered to be non-compete clauses and will be prohibited. What these actual parameters are uh, will be decided on a case-by-case basis. So I do recommend having counsel review your agreements to determine if there are any potential issues given the proposed rule change. Now for um, you know somebody that actually works in this industry um, to discuss the proposed rule and its impact on the industry itself. Uh, let's get into our interview with Mike Pryor. Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, we have brought on Mike Pryor today for an episode of Welcome in the Queue. So good morning, Mike. How are you doing today? Really good, Michael. Really good. Thanks for having me here. No, it's great to have you. And uh, Mike, I, I did just give a brief um, overview of the proposed changes that the FTC has brought about for this uh, non-compete prohibition um, for employers. So, you know, I, I gave a bunch of the legal background, you know, feel free to comment on that if you'd like. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it would be really nice, you know, you had reached out to our firm, you know, about this topic and kind of like what you're seeing in the industry and from that kind of birthday uh, podcast topic, right? So, right. you know, I wanted to bring you on and talk to you because I, I think that you had some valuable insight that I think our listeners would really like to kind of hear from that perspective, right? Like the industry perspective on a rule change like this. So 
Um, Before we kind of get into that in particular, why don't you give us a little bit of background about your work with the Priority Financial Group and um, what you guys are seeing, how this proposed FTC rule impacts not only just Priority Financial Group, but uh, also the industry, the wealth management service industry as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to. And yeah, you're right. It's not just the wealth management industry. It's even just, you know, other employers out there who uh, may have non-solicitation, non-compete agreements. This is pretty, could be impactful if they're not prepared. So, uh, well, sure. So I'll start a little background. Uh, I've been helping credit unions for over 25 years, uh, Priority Financial Group has, and um, served on the supervisory committee of my credit union. You know, so it kind of started with that and then built a, a CUSO around financial education, you know, and helping with research and development of, you know, wealth management kind of products and services uh, uh, back in like 2004. And I did that with the support of Mr. Guy Messick and Brian Lauer and your firm. So thank you guys for helping us build that up. I think we've been together almost 19 years. Uh, so it's been a, a fun relationship, you know, from that standpoint. But we help credit unions by just consulting on, on wealth management, you know, and making sure that they're, you know, uh, looking at everything the right way. A lot of it does come around contracts and compensation and the uh, restrictive covenants and things like that. Right. Um, we look at greater good, you know, look at, you know, quality of advice and um, try to help them just be proud of their wealth management department. No, yeah, that sounds great. And, um, you know, you had mentioned it there too, you know, with regards to, you know, financial advisors and and, and where do you see these restrictive covenants currently um, in your business and, um, you know, kind of like, again, like with regards to the the proposed rule here, where, where do you see it having an immediate impact? Sure. In, in the wealth management department of every credit union uh, that's offering it, the financial advisors typically have a non-compete agreement. Yeah. And that's what they're just, they've been called that forever. And, uh, but really all it is, is it's a, either an employment agreement or a services agreement. And it has a non-compete clause in there, right? But there's a whole bunch of other clauses. What's happening now with this new FTC rule is the idea of taking out that clause. And uh, we're all for it, to be honest. Uh, you know, we're, we've already taken it out. It's, you, whether the rule passes or not, the whole non-compete language, whether it would stand up or not, isn't even necessary. You know, for from a from a real perspective, it's really just a matter of the non-solicitation being right mm-hmm, <laughs> and having right. enough and having enough carrots and things that you never have to even go there. Right. You know, so right. we can talk more about that as we go. Yeah. No, and I think that that's a great lead in, you know, because um, you know, as we were kind of thinking of the parameters of this podcast episode, you know, I thought that you brought up a lot of interesting ideas as, um, you know, cause you, you had said that for you guys in particular, you know, you kind of had to scour your contracts to look for non-compete clauses, you know, at the outset, but um, you know, it's like you had just mentioned, um, you know, it's something that at your practice, you guys were trying to already eliminate before, you know, this proposed rule came about. So, you know, with this rule in general, and then again, like what you guys have been working on, what are some of the the next steps, you know, for Priority Financial Group? And, you know, I because I, I think it applies not only for you guys specifically in this field, right? But I think it's some advice that you could pass along to employers in other fields as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, I always think like the first place you start is identifying good quality advisors in the first place, because then you don't usually have to lean into agreements and, you know, go to court and do things like that, right? So, uh, if you have a really good quality advisor already, then you want to lock them up. You know, you think about golden handcuffs for other execs, you know, so you want to put together an agreement that's uh, fair, 
uh, to the advisor, fair to the institution, financially fund for both sides, you know, and you just make it so that um, the advisor wants to retire there, you know, and, and, and stay a long time. If the, if the agreement's too restrictive, then they're going to look for a way out. They'll get their own attorney. It'll turn out to be messy. And the member is usually in the middle, the credit union member. So you right. try to you know, avoid that. So our spirit of this whole thing is win-win, find good quality advisors, lock them up, have them retire with you at the credit union. And uh, that's where I think the most immediate application is because in our industry, advisors hear from recruiters that non-competes won't hold up. Go ahead and take the book, move away from the credit union, and we'll pay you a lot of money. So it's very timely right now because there's a lot of recruiting going on in our space. So if credit unions are not paying attention to this agreement, it's going to get messy this year. And so we're, that's why we're trying to get ahead of it, a little bit proactive and give some guidance to help out. Right. No. Yeah. Um, and I think you touched on a, a lot of interesting things in your in your response there. Um, I do want to start with where you just left off, though, right, with regards to credit unions and kind of avoiding that messiness, right? Like, um, so when it comes to the agreements in particular, um, how are you approaching these restrictive covenants? You know, I get, you know, first and foremost, right, like you have to get rid of the the non-competes, right? If right. if the rule ends up, uh, right. you know, some sort of form of the rule ends up passing, which which we do anticipate. Um, so that's, you know, at, least, at the very least, they should require legal review at this time, right? Exactly. Um, but what about, you had mentioned the non-solicitation provision. Um, is there things around confidentiality too that credit unions can work with your group on? Yes, yeah. Uh, the non-solicitation, um, I'll give Guy Messick uh, credit. Uh, about 15 years ago, Guy, myself, an ERISA attorney and a securities attorney got in a room and said, how come these things aren't holding up? You know, and that was 15 years ago, right? And so, right, yeah. uh, so we came up with a clause that was basically saying, okay, if you're ever going to leave us for whatever reason, uh, we just want a referral fee. We want a finder's fee, basically. And that was unique 15 years ago. And I, I can tell you, since we put that in, we've never had a battle. You know, it's uh, uh, I think that clause has been a good deterrent because then the advisor has to stop and think about that. The advisor's attorney has to stop and think about that. Right. You know, so uh, a judge and uh, we, we feel like if, a, if the judge looks at that, they'll say, well, that's fair. You know, and, but you, the, the, uh, it, I think it's really just to stop the advisor from jumping and have the conversation. You know, so in the non-solicitation piece, making sure that that can stand up in court is crucial. If you don't have that piece, then the whole thing falls apart. So forget about non-compete. It's the non-solicitation that I really recommend the credit unions talk to you guys about and making sure they got that right. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a great point because, right, you know, for these restrictive covenants, right, and and especially if non-competes are you know prohibited moving forward, um, they have to be you know narrowly tailored still, right, to actually protect you know your business interest while also not essentially functioning as a non-compete, right? So it's like, exactly. right. So it's like finding that right line. Um, so, you know, right. as the attorney on the podcast, I always recommend having attorney review for all these provisions. Um, but the fact that Absolutely. you guys are, are emphasizing that yourselves, uh, I think is very important and important message to convey to other employers. Um, so th that's like, you know, with regards to the agreement itself, Mike, but, um, you know, you had talked about some other ideas around, you know, the relationships that you build with your employees, whether they're advisors or, or anybody else that could, you know, work for you. Um, so why don't you talk? And, and, and the other thing too, that you really touched on that I thought was interesting was this idea of the, you know, committing for long-term retention with employees. So yeah. why don't you kind of talk about that a little bit more? 
Absolutely have to. Uh, you know, advisors are hard to find. Good quality advisors are hard to find. You know, so when you have a good one that you'd refer your friends and family to and you trust, you really do want to figure out how do we make this work for the long term, right? You know, so they don't even have to think about this. You know, they're, they're, they're going to retire out with you. So um, having that transparency, having that conversation, because you, if you ignore it, there are other people in their ear talking to them about the benefits of leaving. Right, <laughs> they're right. getting recruited a lot. You know? So mm. you really got to just open it up and say, Hey, are you happy here? Would you like to retire from here? Let's talk about what that would look like, you know, and then you get the advisor talking and you come, you know, and you come to an agreement, you know, and uh, win-win, you know, so ignoring it's not a good strategy. It's better just to have that transparency, have the conversation. It's awkward maybe at first, but you know, if you really like them, take them to lunch, take them to breakfast, say, Let's talk about this, you know, or right. figure it out. Or you hire someone like us to do it. Right, <laughs> that's there what you we, go. That's what we do. I, 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 <laughs> I, we, we know how advisors think. We know how they operate. We know uh, uh, the good ones from the bad ones, you know, so we're pretty good at assessing that. And so we can tell you, hey, yeah, you have a really good advisor. You probably should lock them up or don't waste your time on this one. You know, let's go just find somebody better, upgrade the position. You know, so that's kind of been a niche of ours for a long time uh, is, uh we just understand that uh, that that business, you know, that industry. But one of the for things sure. that uh, has come up is putting in. Um, and we've done this for years and years. We've had several advisors retire with us because we just put a retirement clause in their agreement. You know, and it mm-hmm. basically just says this is what it's going to look like when you retire from here. So then they have a vision. It's like, oh, okay. And there's a payout at the end. And a lot of institutions today, the advisors don't have a payout at the end. The only way they can monetize all their hard work is to steal the practice go somewhere else and get paid for it. So that's why, again, you don't want to be silent on this. You want to talk about what re- what retiring here looks like. And that retirement package that we put in place, you know, years and years ago, cost the credit union zero. The, it's the incoming advisor who pays for it uh, because they're inheriting a big practice. So zero cost to the credit union. So an easy thing to add. And thanks to you guys, you know, you helped us, you know, uh, even tighten up that language here recently. Um, but I think having a retirement package in place this makes sense, you know, uh, so that everyone's on the same page. Also, one thing that's come up recently, too, is key man insurance. If a really top advisor, uh, you know, something happens to them unexpectedly, they get hit by a bus, you know, their family really doesn't get anything. Whereas if they were outside of the credit union, you know, they make a lot of money. So putting together a term insurance, key man insurance plan, super inexpensive, takes care of the advisor's family and, Probably the advisor would probably even pay for it if you're given the option. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just it's just a nice strategy there to uh, uh, for for the larger producers, the bigger advisors. That's just something on their mind. I've had those conversations with advisors and uh, with those credit unions. We're looking into it. No, yeah. Again, some really good advice there, and and you know can't emphasize enough the importance of kind of building these relationships to maintain them, right? Um, so I think that these are all really good options. Um, just like one final note too, because I, I I do know that we've kind of been working through this ourselves. We've been discussing this topic. You did mention you know this uh, this uh, incentive in some situations for an advisor to to try to take the business with them and, and move on, right? Um, how are you addressing that contractually? Like, are, are there any um, advice that you can offer to kind of because I, I think again you had mentioned retirement plan, you had mentioned transparency in. Um, employee relationships, and those are great practices. Is there anything else that, that you guys do or at least look at um, on a case-by-case basis? Yes, uh, we've definitely had uh, negotiated uh, uh, separations. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess best way to put it. So, right. you know, if, if we build that relationship with the advisor so they don't just sneak out in the middle of the night, you know, but they actually come to the table and say, hey, this isn't for me, time to go. Or even the credit union might feel that way. It's like, you know what? They're a good advisor, but maybe not a good fit or we're going in a different direction. We actually had a credit union sell their practice to the advisor. You know, so that was interesting. Okay. I hadn't seen that before. And uh, But we've had others where the advisor just exits the credit union but still serves the members. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, that's worked out really, really well for both the advisor and the credit union. Um, so there's ways to lower like uh, FTE for the credit union by doing some of these things. So there's some other strategies that, you know, synergies that works for the credit union. So, but having a negotiated uh, separation plan, like who's going to have that conversation? What are we willing to do? Each credit union is a little different. You know, so you got to, you know, each advisor is different. So it's just having some like kind of, uh, I don't say neutral party, but somebody who's uh, respected on both sides, right? And facilitate that conversation. You know, uh, we've seen it happen several times, and it's worked out well. Okay, no, that's great. Um, so yeah, I was going to say, Mike, I, I think that we pretty much like covered all these all the topics here um, that we kind of um, hashed out, you know, before, uh, hopping on and press and record, but is there anything else too, that, um, again, I, I think this is all great information. Um, you know, we started this with a, a pretty high overview of what the, the legal changes look like. And, um, you know, we're kind of ending it here, just really focusing on that employer employee relationship. And I, I think that that's the right mentality, you know, um, legal changes are, are constant, right. They seem to be ever changing. Um, but maintaining strong employee relationships is is definitely a, a great keystone to, to start with. Absolutely. And I will mention that in some of these credit unions, the advisors aren't their employees. So, mm-hmm. so that's actually another good point, right? If they're independent contractors or they're employed by the broker dealer, what's right. called a managed program, the, then you're relying on the broker dealer to enforce, right? And so... Uh, those, those, you definitely want to review those contracts and see what that looks like from a credit union perspective. How, where are your protections, right? Right. You know, and uh, we've seen one go really bad where the basically the broker dealer supported the advisors and not the credit union. The advisor stayed with the broker dealer, even though the credit union was wanting them out. Mm-hmm. And the broker dealer helped them keep the assets and keep keep growing and going against the credit union. So that's a, that's a really good point that if they're not employees, these agreements are even more important. <laughs> right. Make sure, make sure you're protected, you know, and we're happy to review them. We know what to look for. And you guys could help look at, look, look them over too, uh, from a clearly legal perspective, you know, uh, but uh, from an operational perspective, uh, yeah, we can, we can help with that too. No, it's great advice. A great way, a great note to end on as well. Um, Mike, if people do have any questions about, you know, Priority Financial Group or just have some questions about maybe this new rule, what, what's the best way they can reach you? Oh, sure. Thank you. Uh, on LinkedIn, for sure. You know, uh, Mike Pryor, at PFG. And uh, my email address, I'll uh, share that here, is uh, uh, Pryor, P-R-I-O-R, Amazon Michael, at PFGteam.com. All right, great. And we'll make sure to share that information as well. Uh, Mike, again, can't thank you enough for for hopping on the podcast to talk this issue through. Very relevant right now. Um, So I can't wait to hear more and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of In the Queue. Thank you again to Mike Pryor for joining the podcast today. Uh, Mike offered some pretty valuable and timely insight 
uh, with regards to uh, what employers can anticipate with regards to the changes proposed by the new FTC rule on prohibiting non-compete clauses. Uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast feed to receive the latest news and information in the world of credit unions and QSOs. I'm Mike Heller. Thanks for your time today and listening. Until next time. <laughs>